Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk about Richard Bailey. So is this doctor or the son? Wait, no, we already did the son. Well, yeah, the doctor. His last name isn't Bailey. <laughs> I know. Oh, guys. It's first thing in the morning. Don't worry, guys. I have my coffee. So, yeah. um, but, um, so it's Dr. Richard Bailey, her father. Yeah. And um, I wanted to talk about him because, of course, fathers have such an influence on mm-hmm. who we become and for elizabeth not having her mother that was mm-hmm. who she she was attached to mm-hmm. i guess and maybe it was such difficulties when he wasn't there yeah um, but what's interesting about him is that he is very well known in his own right like in the medical world especially in new york mm-hmm. um, he his name is very well known and, today and you're saying today, that's very well known today today without yeah. elizabeth being attached to him Wow. Um, I mean, sometimes in his biographies, they'll mention that his daughter goes on to be a Catholic saint, mm-hmm. but it's not her story, you yeah. know, where he's attached to her story. Yeah, um, he, he has his own story. Yeah. You know, that's kind of interesting because when we were doing the exhibit, the treasures of the Seton family, and we had um, a tea chest and his book that he wrote on the yellow fever epidemic, mm-hmm. we put that together as a display case to represent her father, you know, and the life that she came from. And um, I feel like it was really through that exhibit that my eyes opened a little bit more of how influential Richard Bailey was to his daughter, even though he was absent from from her life all while she was growing up, you know, through those, like, fundamental years. And... Uh, she learning about who she is and relationship and she talked about you know the the hardship of not having her father present and the hardship that the family had because you know dr richard did remarried and had other children and she didn't have a great relationship with her stepmother right. you know and this is all through the years that she's growing up becoming a person finding her own but it's amazing though that she didn't hold on to those challenges and become bitter in those. You know, like some right. people, I don't know, I'm being oh, presumptuous, right. but and I feel I like when somebody does not have an easy upbringing in their childhood, it seems to have leave some scarring, like issues in their adulthood, you know, mistrust. Yeah. The well, I mean, I think she fears. had a little bit of that because our parents shape us, our ancestors mm-hmm. right. shape us, right. you know, those that are around us. But I do think you're right. I think when people have those difficulties, they do one of two things. They either draw closer to that person wanting to be mm-hmm. closer to them or they turn away from them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she ever turned away from him. Mm-hmm. I think she kept trying Mm-hmm. to have a relationship with him and then as an adult you see that forgiveness for for whatever it was which mm-hmm. we don't know what it was really yeah. I mean, they talk her and her sister mary talk little bits about loneliness and sadness and trouble at home but yeah. they never really go into detail what that was like yeah um, 
and I was trying to put together what kind of man he was because he was really into his work. So he didn't seem like an angry man. He didn't seem like a mm -hmm. violent man. So, yeah. um, but they, whatever it was. But he was driven. He was driven. I think that he was really driven. I mean, like just not really knowing a whole lot about him, but knowing that, you know, he was really at, in the cups of the yellow fever epidemic at the turn of the century. And he was the only one willing to do that. He was trying to improve society, improve the healthcare. And he was just so driven to that, that I think when I saw the book, now it's not in his handwriting, so, uh, but it is the first edition that he put together and had it printed. But when you see the book, it sort of like puts it into perspective of, Really, yeah, the, how smart he was, how smart he was and how caring he was that you actually started seeing the attributes of Richard Bailey that isn't really shared very often because right. he is overshadowed by Elizabeth saying, my absent father. I know who my father is. I, my father is God in heaven, not my biological father right. here on earth. You know, right. like that's overshadowed it. But then when I really saw that book, I mean, you start really understanding what attributes he had, then you could kind of see it coming out of Elizabeth. Yeah, because it makes it more real. Like he was actually a real person and he yeah. did have an influence on her life as mm -hmm. all parents do, good or bad. Yeah. Um, it also, again, as we're doing with this podcast, when we learn about someone that was in her world, it expands her story. Mm -hmm. Because in all of the biographies of Elizabeth, there's just like this straight line story, meaning like we talk about her father mm -hmm. and her mother, her uncle a little bit, but not the fact that her uncle had a wife and children. Like there were other children in the home with her uncle. And it's and so when starting to learn about Richard, um, you know, as far as his parents, like his father comes here, I think in 1726, he's meaning to go back to England, but he falls in love with Susanna, who mm -hmm. is only 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. And they go to Connecticut, Fairfield, Connecticut, which is where Richard's born the following year. So his mother was young, really, when you think about it, like she was only 18 when he was uh -huh. born. They go back to uh, New Rochelle in mm -hmm. New York and have his brother, William. So, um, but what's interesting is when they're in New Rochelle, his mother, Susanna, has this huge extended family. So they talk about Richard and William, Elizabeth's father and uncle, mm -hmm. um, growing up in an environment where there was um, Susanna's by father family. owned a huge farm. Okay. I think they called it Miles Square. And all these cousins were mm -hmm. around, all this family was around. Well, they were all still around when Elizabeth was an adult. Mm -hmm. And yet we never really think of that. We think of Elizabeth as kind of being a loner. Yeah. And yet there were all this extended huge family of all these cousins and relatives that mm. we never really expand on or talk about. Yeah. That she would have been aware of because it sounds like when she was little, her father, even after his wife's death, would mm -hmm. take him to these these family members right. and visit. Which we know, yeah. yeah. And a visit would be like in an entire summer <laughs> through half of a right. year. Right. So yeah. You know, it's funny that you're saying that because I think even for me in my story, I I my dad was the eighth child and I grew up with a very large family. All my cousins, we were very, very close. Um, and they're very much part of my story as an adult. 
but not a lot of people know that because we go on our own path right. but when we have our family reunion we come together and it's just like yesterday like you can see our relationships and so forth right. but like our children don't really know my cousin's children and right. that's just where you see where it just kind of breaks down a little bit but you're right like um knowing how important my cousins are to me not everybody would know that so of course it would make sense that these cousins of elizabeth probably were very important to her family yeah. was well we know that family was important that. to her it's just we don't talk about it we just much, don't talk about like, them to put it in that big perspective yeah. and you know we hear those bits and pieces where she would send her children like Catherine or william would go back to new york and mm-hmm. visit all of this right family. but we never know who they are and and again like this to me is a tribute to elizabeth that even though she was here you know, left New York, never returned for the last 12 years of her life, she mm-hmm. still keeps all of those connections. I mean, her youngest mm-hmm. sister was only nine, I think, when she left, but yet yeah. she ends up staying close to the sister. So that's a tribute to Elizabeth. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah. So, it kind of seems like there's going to be so much information here to share, so much <laughs> of the story. So, there might be two parts, everybody. Yeah. I have a feeling. Because <laughs> I'm kind of derailing Lisa a little bit. Yeah, but, right. But let's, yeah, let's get into, like, who is Dr. Richard Bailey? What makes him him that those attributes do shine in Elizabeth? Um, But I love my favorite part of the story. Can I say it? My favorite part of the story is when they do build their relationship together. So we are going to talk about that, right? Okay. Right. Just Um, making sure. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think it's also important to note that, um, as I just said, that his mother's family had been here for generations, but his father... Um, was, you know, came here in 1726. So Richard growing up still had that very strong allegiance to the mother country, to England. Um, and as we know, later on, he does, he is a loyalist. Mm-hmm. He has that yeah. loyalty to England and, and probably coming from his father's family, his father coming here, you know, yeah. and being a first generation being born here. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense, you yeah. know, I mean, I don't, think that there's anything wrong with him being a loyalist versus uh no especially at that time I yeah think. um but anyway so anyway. his um uh, his father passes away when he's 15 yeah. and his brother of course is like 13 14 and uh-huh. and so they had only been married his parents only been married for 16 years so his mother is still yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say is his mother still alive? She is still alive. Okay. And she's um what would it make her like thirty three? Mm-hmm. So very young. I mean maybe they thought that was older in those days. I don't know. Um his mother does remarry four years later. Okay. And they move from the home that they're in to this farm, um, Miles Square, which was supposed to be uh, Richards being the oldest son, it would have been passed on to him. Mm-hmm. Um his parents were given the farm after her father died, mm-hmm. and then Richard, being the oldest son, would have passed on to him. So that kind of clears up the mystery because in Richard's will mm-hmm. that he wrote before he left for England the last time, 1787, mm-hmm. um, he leaves the farm to his mother. Elizabeth is born in 1774, and then he leaves for England again to study under Dr. Hunter. Um, and so I just realized something. Sorry to interrupt, but really he is pretty late in his life of studying to become a doctor like i know it takes years like in today's world it does take years and years you're looking at at least a decade 
uh, studying and schooling and practice and to get your doctorate but well that's what i'm thinking like i i'm not seeing anything where he went to college Mm -hmm. so which people did then but it seems like maybe they didn't go to college to be a doctor because when i see about people studying to be a doctor like her her half brother andrew he went to jamaica to study being a doctor they didn't really go to it was more hands-on more hands-on like and you just learned as you went. Yeah. And I guess you, and medicine was so new mm-hmm. then. You yeah. Know, I mean, we've read some of the old manuals from the sisters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were on the verge of really starting to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I was just under the impression that he was already a doctor. He's traveling to England because he's dependent on sharing his knowledge. He, educating others, yeah, being a mentor, but he's learning for himself. So to me, it's like he pretty much has started his career, got married, still has a lot to learn, lots to study, he's having children, still has a lot to learn, lots to study. So that's why he's really absent. He's not, he's still trying to establish himself. Yeah, it's a, like a dad trying to go to night school yeah. and having young kids. And today, um, yeah. He just did it for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, he's a doctor, so he's trying yeah, to be a doctor. Okay, I, I, I don't know. It's just click. Yeah. That's just click right now. Yeah. Amazing. So he's 30 years old and going um, back to England again to mm-hmm. study again. Now, this was like the most well-renowned doctor in all of Europe that he's mm-hmm. studying under. So he's getting a really good education. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he um, wants to study um, crew, actually. That's how you say it. Like the, the coffee that some... Oh, crew. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he is the first to really think that it's not a um, airway problem, it's not a choking problem, a suffocation problem, he calls it, but a circulatory problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's studying that. Um, uh, and it makes me think that it must have been more common then. Um, oh, today, yeah. I don't think we really are that concerned about it too much. Well, I think it's because there's that fascination, right? Was there for that? I, I thought know. there was. Uh, I don't know. We're showing our intelligence here. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I thought that there were measures. I think there's some sort of infant vaccine now that will help to prevent croup. Yeah. Because croup sure. is very dangerous. Yeah, You're right. It it's be. very, yeah, very dangerous. I don't know. I'm thinking bad. like Anne of Green Cables when her best friend <laughs> sorry i'm kind of going off but you know like anna green Dable when her best Anne's best friend diane and her little sister had croup and you know they're on the outs but yeah you know who did diane go to and right. and she helped to you know well, keep was. the baby safe from yeah. croup um, but again that was in the 1800s as well so mm-hmm. i think that um sorry no no i um yeah i don't think i don't know I don't know how well known it is today, but that's what's interesting. My point, though, back to Richard, is though this the crew must have been that ignition to his focus of how to address common illnesses, Mm -hmm. but and prevent death, right? Right, right, and Uh definitely, and figuring out if um, they're infectious or not, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so he's not really interested in everyday 
well-being, you know, like health, the standard health care, you know, the health checkups and stuff like yeah, that. He's I, I more interested he's, in. Yeah, uh, the interesting cases. Like, <laughs> the more interesting cases. Right, uh, what can I do? What is it about under, this condition, this disease? Yeah. How so, do I stop um, it? There is something, and I don't know exactly when I have it in here, but he is the first person um, to successfully do an arm amputation. So he's at the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, the patient survived, which um, he is the first one to do that. So I think it's a little bit later on from here, but I thought, well, that's an interesting little fact. <laughs> so talk to me. We're going to start coming. This is, again, unbeknownst to me till now. But we're starting to come into, like, you know, Dr. Richard Bailey is and needs to be a little bit more well-known in the medical world today because he did a lot of first. He was the first one to understand how croup works and how to, you know, resolve it, avoid it, so forth. I don't know. Lack of knowledge of me, but... He was a surgeon. He was a surgeon, so first one to do a full arm amputation. And he lectured at Columbia University. He eventually takes that position on. Um, His soon-to-be son-in-law, Wright Post, studies under him as well. Mm -hmm. And um, and he was New York first health official, which was huge. Yeah. Um, And he did, he never cured yellow fever or never found out the exact cause of yellow fever, but he got close. I mean, he got really close. I mean, I think that, again, the preventative measures that we have today is more credited to him. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that he did, and again, this is jumping ahead, but one of the things he did was wanted people to clean up their garbage. And, and because if you think about it, which is always fun to do with our junior history interpreters is where do people put their garbage? Well, they threw it out their window because they didn't have the plastic and the paper and the tin glass that we even have today so because they would have recycled the glass yeah. um, they just threw the food and extra liquids and stuff out the window which caused a problem with the rats which mm-hmm. were carrying the mosquitoes you know which right. was causing problem with the yellow fever and the water the standing water mm-hmm. so he didn't realize it was the mosquitoes but he made people clean up their garbage yeah and that helped wow I'm just so. thinking the bubonic plague. That was the 1500s. That? I know, but just imagine if Dr. <laughs> Richard Bailey was in that time frame. Right. Yeah. Could have um, thousands and thousands and thousands of lives yeah. been prevented. Um, so then, you know, anyway, this is going time, off. <laughs> um, we're getting into the American Revolution. Okay. So he's in England studying 1777. Mm-hmm. He decides to come back and serve as a staff surgeon with Lord Howe, who is in the New England area, he's in the New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does really well. Like he, he gets promotion, he gets promoted to lieutenant, he gets a third promotion. Um, and people are noticing, like they're noticing that he's a really good surgeon. Um, he even has the opportunity to work with a, um, again, a very famous Hessian um, surgeon, um, Sergeant Michaelis, they said his name was, and he was the authority on group at the time, but then he takes on Bailey's ideas and starts, takes him in a whole different direction, starts studying, because 
Bailey was very excited to work with him, but then he realizes, hey, this this guy's on to something, you know. And so um, he was again very proud moment for Richard Bailey. Like he's he's feeling pretty good about himself. But then he gets word that um, his wife is in trouble. Okay, you know that right, she yeah. um, has given birth to their third child, another daughter, but she's not doing well. So it's interesting because he requests to return home. But this is a really, um, they said it's a bitter outcome of his decision to take service with Lord Howell because he was, they refused to pay him because he did not complete his service. Even though he needs to go home because of an emergency. I mean, his wife is dying. Yeah, they refused to pay him. So it kind of ends a little bit bitter on bitter terms. Um, he decides to come home. Uh, but they said that he had helped somewhere between five and 6,000 soldiers. He had um, nursed them and that people started to take notice of what an important person he was. And an important they liked him. So that kind of came out. There's some that. sort of charism about him. Right. But you did not get your pay then until you finished your commission. And he didn't finish his commission. So. Well, I mean, rightly so, though. I think he's willing to give that up because oh, his yeah, his true love was dying um, and comes home. So it says that after the death of his first wife, he did take the children like that first year and visit relatives and stay. You know, you know, he would stay with his brother, and he doesn't really work a whole lot that first year. Like he's he's trying to get his bearings of raising three little girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then. It's not surprising. The youngest dies herself. Yeah. So it's not surprising that he marries again. Well, I mean, he he knows that he needs to. Right. Because he's not, like you just said, he's barely practicing now. He needs to get back to it. Right. He needs somebody to take care of his children. Right. Um, even though, like, family was still there, I think... He probably just drive that they at least had a mother. Yeah. So he marries almost like around almost a year later, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte Amelia Barclay. She was the daughter of Andrew and Helena Roosevelt Barclay. So this is the first Roosevelt interaction we have. Um, some of their children do go on to marry Roosevelt's as well. So there is a little bit of a closer attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was all through Elizabeth's um, stepmother and half-siblings. That, right. that Roosevelt connection is yeah. there. Um, I do, though, believe that he only marries her for convenience. I don't think it was ever really love. Oh, no, I don't think so at all. No. Um, which is... You know, as as much as Elizabeth didn't like her stepmother, I feel a little sorry for her. You know, she's she's mm-hmm. nineteen. She goes into this marriage. She has three little girls. Um, Automatically, um, you know, which I think Elizabeth probably to some level might have understood when right. she was later in her life. So right. the challenges that her stepmother had was because Elizabeth found herself that way. Like I'm newly wed i have a small child but then i have other children that i'm taking care of because my husband paris died and his younger right. sibling needed right. needed but, care yeah. it's interesting because i think it's so typical i think elizabeth like as a little four-year-old 
her father did everything right and yeah. this new woman coming in is doing everything wrong Pretty much. and so yeah. um i think as a little girl she probably sided with her father for everything i think it's a little bit later she starts to think mm, there might be a little bit more <laughs> maybe my father's a little bit at fault for what's yeah. happening here <laughs> um but they get they have seven children together mm -hmm. so um, obviously there was some sort of a relationship there um, and this is where we kind of see where elizabeth and her sister are sent away because of family troubles right so what is that i don't know you know but let's get back to dr okay. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic when we yeah, get into the relationship it. between um, her stepmother and Elizabeth. So, um, yeah, this is around the time that he does that shoulder operation. He is starting to advertise in the paper. Um, yeah. So he's kind of like, okay, I'm back. I'm back to work. Mm -hmm. um, and But another thing that kind of happens is after the American Revolution, there's this boycott of loyalists. And so this could have been damaging to him, but for some reason he gets a His pass. reputation. Yeah, he gets a pass. And and people, I think, you know, it could have been New York City. It could have been because of where he was living. And there were so many political figures there mm -hmm. that I think were smart enough to realize this isn't an easy decision. This mm -hmm. wasn't so cut and dry for so many people. And, and he is, this is where he's kind of becoming friends with a lot of those people, John Jay, Alexander Hamilton, mm -hmm. like he's in their world. Mm -hmm. um, but wasn't it, it during that time that, I'm trying to remember, I thought that there was a time though that came up where people were afraid of Dr. Bailey because they didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't. You know, I'm thinking right. like Frankenstein. Yeah, you know, so, so, there... so that's the second thing that could okay, have sorry. influenced his career. I mean, the the um, the boycott of the loyalists could have. Okay. He got a pass. Okay. That's in 1783. Oh, so it's two separate things. It's two separate things. Okay, sorry. By 1787, though, so there is this interesting thing that happens. So I I was able to study this a little bit more preparing for this today and it's it's a very interesting story it's the doctors riots of new york city if you're interested um basically uh what had happened was there was a building that had been authorized to be a hospital mm -hmm. well during the war it was burned and then it was rebuilt but no one was really using it so dr bailey was like well this is a great place to do studies and he had medical students there during these studies. Well, they were basically studying on dead bodies. Cadavers. Cadavers. And so how this riot happens is one of the um, students, one of the medical students, um, sees this group of kids hanging out outside the building. So he takes an arm that he's amputated, I think it was a woman's arm, and he like waves it out the window as young boys may do <laughs> you know and then um, as a reciprocal young boy there goes their imagination right well and then he yelled look i have your mother's arm oh my god and one of the boys in the group had just lost their mother oh. so it becomes this sensitive thing and it just grows it just grows and grows so all of a sudden well. you have this mob that is outside this building 
Okay, um, lesson number one, I always thought is in like the doctor's rule, whatever you call that, testament. Be respectful of body parts. <laughs> I mean, um, come on. So they, this mom comes to attack the hospital, bailing his medical students get out. Uh, Dr. Bailey is placed in what we would call protective custody. I mean, people are, are angry because yeah. they, they assume, which I think rightfully so, that they're taking these bodies from the graves. Oh, yeah. that they're rape, what do you call it? Grave robbers. Grave. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Ooh. they, the mom, overnight, they're thinking things are going to calm down. It doesn't calm down on uh, Monday. So this would happen on a Sunday. On Monday, they attack the jail. Uh, John Jay um, is trying to quell the rioters. Um, and it becomes him and this other Baron von Steuben, who was a revolutionary hero, they get involved with this. Steuben ends up getting knocked out. He's yelling to the militia who fire shots. So now you have people that have died now. Because There's a panic. Right. right. It's, it's that it's classic a, panic um, mode, and you don't know where, where it's coming from, what direction. Wow, just chaos. Right. So then this mob is like, well, we're going to go to the doctor's homes. Now, Elizabeth is staying with her father at this point. And so. so how, old, how old is she now? Um, so 1788, she would be like 14. Wow. So um, she says herself, I passed the night in a sweat of terror, saying all the while, our father. So, I mean, the our father prayer. Like, this mob is, I mean, people have now died mm -hmm. and it's out, getting out of control. Wow. On Tuesday, April 15th, Dr. Bailey publishes a statement and he denies that there has been any um, accusation of bodies from churchyards or places of high social character. So, what do you think he means by that? Well, the problem is with this is that he's saying, I didn't take any bodies from the graveyards of the important people. He he doesn't say that maybe he didn't take it from Potter's Field or the graves of the poor people or the, the graves of well, slaves. He doesn't say that. Okay. He leaves that out. Yeah. So um, he decides, you know what, I'm just going to leave town for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's his third trip to England. He goes okay. back to England in 1788, fall of 1788. This mm -hmm. had happened in the in April. Okay. So things are still, they've quieted down. There's not the mob, but people are having this distrust. Mm -hmm. What comes out of this, though, is that there are laws that are passed that bodies can be donated to science. Mm -hmm. and, and you can willingly do that, or if it's a, I guess, a John Doe kind mm -hmm. of situation, or if a family can't afford to pay for a burial, then they can donate the mm -hmm. body. So, or they um, really fully support medical findings, you know, wanting right. to provide themselves a specimen for further the improvement of mankind. So my aunt did that. Um, she wanted her body donated to science. So. Yeah, and what's interesting yeah. is, remember a few years ago, I guess with just all the privacy things, laws that have come about in the past 10 years or so, um, if you now... If a family donates a body to science, they don't know what happens to it. And, and what was said to me when I was burying my uncle was that they become a number, not a name. Yeah. And you you don't you don't get to know what happened to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So if you're willing to pay for an autopsy that's separate, then you can do that. But if you're just donating the body, they become a number, not a name. Yeah. And when she said that to me, I was like, you know, it's but. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because I think that, now it's been, do I think, hold it, my oldest, 20th, so she's been gone for like 15, 15 to 18 years, yeah. and, um, you know, it, it, it does, there's that curiosity, like, huh, I wonder, like, has her body, has she contributed to any right. advancement in the medical field, did she help to discover something to improve like her position or way to now. teach students. Yeah, okay. I know. That's the thing. And, kind of curious. And, and of course, there were all those football players that have started donating their brains and Brain stuff, for concussion. Is I yeah. Mean, I don't think I would do that, though. Yeah, I don't know. You're still know. thinking about it? Well, no, I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> Burial in general freaks me out. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Like, I don't want to be in a casket and I don't want to be cremated. Like, I, don't want, to be, I don't want to be burned and I don't want to be buried. <laughs> so. I've just become a diamond. <laughs> okay. We're getting off track. Okay. So, all right. So, let's sum this up a little bit. Um, so, we have the riot. Now, doctor has gone back to England, Elizabeth is 14, 15 years old. This is a pivotal time that we know of Elizabeth, where she just had, like I said earlier on, this epiphany of who is her father. Like, she's longing for him. Right. She's longing for that relationship with her father. She's missing him. Um, but she's really struggling. And she's like, yeah. I can't do this again. He's gone again. I don't have the support of the relationship with yeah. my stepmother. I'm you know, like, well, and it's interesting because when he leaves for England, this is what we don't know. Says, mm -hmm. does, does he tell Elizabeth, "Well, you can no longer stay in this house," or does as soon as he leaves, Charlotte says, "You need to leave," because we know between fourteen and eighteen years old, she's staying with her sister, she's staying with her aunt on on Staten Island. Island. Yeah, she calls this her nomad time, where she doesn't have a home. Yeah, and she is. She's really pondering those. Those you know, really thoughtful things of like, yeah. what is life about? What is, where is my happiness? Mm -hmm. You know, and she's trying to figure that all out. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, the steps that happen because he yeah. leaves basically because he wants to give some time and space with his reputation and his name. Mm -hmm. um, but that leaves her in a tailspin. Yeah. And there's not much letters going back and forth between Richard yeah. and his daughter. So yeah. we don't really know what each other is thinking. Right. So the only thing we do know, you know, we do know that she starts, that he makes that comment about what she's reading, that he wants her to start keeping this journal, this commonplace mm -hmm. book, and he wants it to be important people. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that she's writing in there are things from English authors. From We know that she copied a part of a speech that was given at Parliament that was important to her. So um, she's staying in touch with what her father's world is. We do know that. Mm -hmm. So is that through a correspondence that we don't have? Or is that through her just trying to stay connected to her father? We don't know that. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. So it sounds to me, Lisa, that um, we might be getting to the best part, though. How many years is it before Richard actually do finally come back? Because I thought it was like, after his third trip to England, right. he comes right. back yeah. and now he is given a very prestigious role for New York City. And 
by this time, Elizabeth is married? Uh, he comes back in 1790. So oh. um, she's not quite married. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, he comes back in 1790. So she's not quite married yet. Um, but she's older. I mean, you know what I mean? Like she's yeah. 16, 17 years old by the time he gets back. Of which she, she is courting William McGee Seaton. And she's come into her own. Yeah. It's kind of like, does she even really need her father anymore? Right. Um, while he's away, um, he has another son. So um, he comes home, though, and things change. Things change. Things are him. changing. Yeah. Yeah. This is where I'm excited because it just, I like this next part. Yeah. I think it's because of, I, I can almost relate on some level sometimes. Yeah. So, all right. So that's it for today. Um, we hope that you are enjoying this podcast so far. So this is part one. We're going to come back with part two. So we hope that you tune in to the next one. Um, and I, I don't know. It's so hard with podcasts. I'd be like, if anybody have any questions, let us know. <laughs> but that's not going to be the case. So hopefully um, you guys got a lot out of it. I know that Lisa and I were kind of like a little bit all over the place, but I love the conversations. <laughs> um, yeah. Just learning about him. Is there anything that you want to leave, leave us with? And you like no, I thought think to think um, about you know for those of you that really love elizabeth i think her relationship with her father was so important mm -hmm. and i think you can see her grow up mm -hmm. you can see her thoughts changing yeah um, you can see what becomes important to her mm -hmm. um, and he does shape her and she doesn't even realize how much he shapes her until she's a little bit older oh no yeah just in a good way in a good way that's what i'm saying um but I thought what was really great was even just this morning, it really came out like he was a good person. And I think that even when we talk about it, we're like, oh, he's absent and it can be presumed. Oh, he wasn't a good father, but he was, he, he was, was a good father. father. He was a good, was a good person way. in his own way. Right. And of course we have those, we have fathers and mothers. We have everybody, we have those people that, feel like, well, providing for my family, food, clothing, schooling, that is loving them. Mm -hmm. But then we have those people that need that touchy-feely, those hugs. Need those, something more right. than what they can provide. And he just wasn't that. Just wasn't that. But we have to accept people who they are, which yeah. I think Elizabeth wants. Yeah, which is making me excited <laughs> for the next episode. Right. Okay. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>